If you want your team stacked with humble, outcome-driven, technically capable people, then you'll want to set up a CLEAR review. CLEAR stands for Complementary Leadership Evaluation and Review, and we created it for teams and technology leaders just like you. So here's what you'll leave the CLEAR review with. A clear step-by-step -step plan tailored to your exact situation. Tactical insights on how you can apply these skills immediately and a review of your leader's abilities so you can see how your team stacks up to 500 other teams that are just like yours. And we'll answer all of your questions about how to create better leaders faster. Remember, great leaders grow companies. Visit leaderbits.io forward slash clear to set up your clear review today. Today we are talking to Anand, the CTO and co-founder at Pulse Q&A, and we discuss the keys to a great relationship with your co-founder, benefits of passionate problem solvers, and how you can leverage the compounding nature of time to propel your career forward. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. How's it going? Fantastic. How are you, my friend? I am good. How are you doing? Pretty good. My my little girl got the uh, chicken pox today. You know. Oh, I see. I see. So, well, I I've never had chicken pox. Uh, so, and I've never been vaccinated for it either. Stay away from small children. I know. I know. Uh, I actually just I'm I'm at home today. I got back from the hospital uh, recently. I randomly got a staph infection what and yeah and uh, in my elbow and um, it's been a week now but my elbow still doesn't really bend and very hurts very much if i'm in an uber uh, it hurts uh, i can't really get into a car and i definitely can't rest my elbow on anything uh, Dude, but that's, that's crazy do you know how it happened no it's it's like the most random thing is uh, they said that you must have had a cut or something on your elbow and this bacteria got in through it. But this is what they call a superbug. I don't know if you've heard of those. Yeah. Uh, but these are, uh, these are staph bacteria that are resistant. I think they're called MSRA. Uh, and they're resistant to antibiotics. So it was really tough to uh, uh, get them out. <laughs> but, Dude, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, uh, it's so random. But yeah, glad to be back. And I, I should be uh, going into work starting next week. So. Well, that's good. Yeah, good, good to have you. Good to have you back with the team, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in a startup, this is a long, long time to stay away. Right. Well, how long? How long have you been away? I've been away for two weeks now. Two weeks. Yeah. But I've been I've been working from home for a few days, and we'll be starting up soon. Well, luckily there's Slack, right? Luckily there's Slack, and um, it doesn't make up for the presence, which is really important. But yeah, uh, all these tools really help. Zoom helps. Uh, so it's fine. And we have two engineers overseas. So uh, uh, I, it doesn't matter anyways uh, with those guys. Yeah, I like it. We, we have some people remote too. And it's always an interesting dynamic mixing the in-office people culture with the remote people. But we've, we've managed to do it through like stand-up meetings on Fridays where everybody videos in if they're not in person. And mm -hmm. that's how we've connected our, our culture. That's great. So um, you, I've noticed that you have a bunch of CTO interviews up and yeah. 
I noticed some great names in there. So congratulations on your success. How long have you been doing this? Um, about a year, a little, little bit over a year, year and a half, Okay. two years. I don't know. Time goes by really fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. And, um, do you generally interview start uh, CTOs from all kinds of, uh, uh company sizes, starting yeah. from small companies to large companies? Yeah. Especially when we first started out, we just, and I started with some friends, some people that I knew, and then we branched out and then slowly we started to get an audience and then other CTOs with notable brands started to reach out and say, Hey, can I come on the podcast? And we're like, yeah, absolutely. And then it just kind of grew from there. Now we have like a six month waiting list. Wow. I know okay. it's crazy. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you could fit me in. <laughs> no, right. When I saw what you guys are doing with Paul's QA, I was like, this is really unique specifically how you were taking uh, it away from like the analyst and more about the practitioners. Cause that's what I'm all about here at the podcast. It's like, I don't want to read about like a leadership author that like has never actually led. They've just researched other people. Like I want the practitioners that are actually doing it on a day-to-day -day basis to come talk directly to the audience. I mean, that's why we have technology. It's like, we can, we can hear directly from the CTO of NASA or Microsoft. We don't have to hear from an academic person about it. Absolutely. Um, in talking to CTOs and CIOs, um, we, and we early on when starting out Pulse, we talked to over a hundred of them and we asked them what really bothers them. And one of the number one complaints we heard is that they, first, they don't have a lot of time. They have to make more decisions than ever. And they have to read all these really long lengthy reports. And who has time to read a 20, 30 page report only to see some simple conclusion at the end of it. So, um, the number one thing they expressed is they would like to be able to engage with their peers in an easy way. And that's how Pulse was born. Uh, my co-founder, Mayank, and I worked with him in the past, used to work at a company called Capriza, where he got a chance to work with a lot of CIOs. And at that time, he was on the vendor side. Um, so he got to know a lot of them, and he learned about their pain points, and that fed into Pulse. So give me a quick, like, overview like what is pulse for people who don't know absolutely so pulse is a community of c-suite executives and uh, we're dedicated to helping them make better decisions uh, through discussions q a and bite-sized polls um, you might be familiar with glassdoor and mm -hmm. glassdoor has that one simple question uh, which is uh, what is your salary uh, and that's how they started out uh, and you can go and answer your salary. This question really worked because everyone wants to know everyone else's salary, but no one wants to share their own. Uh, but the key thing you want to know is not always a specific person's salary, but how much would I make in a similar role? So Glassdoor solved it by aggregating responses and preserving anonymity. So you can actually know the average salary that an engineer at Google makes without knowing what your friend specifically makes. And this worked out really well. We have bite-sized polls um, that we allow our, you know, members of our community to ask um, that are that work the same way. Uh, you can take any question, such as, "What is your priority for uh, investing in machine learning next year?" and it can be a quantitative question. You send it out to the audience, uh, and you quickly get all the answers you need from your peers uh, who are verified before they join the community and you can be sure that you're hearing from the best in class. 
That's pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, we decided to start out uh, by focusing on CIOs and IT decision makers uh, because we realized that this is where a lot of the action is happening. There are so many products coming out. There's, uh, if you think back in the day, there were half a dozen to a dozen database management systems. Now there are hundreds of them. How, how does one keep track of everything? How do you know what's best? So if you go out there to these random message boards, they are littered with questions around, should I be using CouchDB or should I be using MongoDB or should I be using DynamoDB? If you think of CRM software, there weren't that many players, but now there are literally thousands of players. Or if you think of ERP software. So helping executives make sense of all these products um, is something we hope to do. Uh, and as a result, make better decisions rather than just going by gut feel. Um, so we go after CIOs and IT decision makers, one, because there's a lot of cognitive dissonance there. The industry moves really fast and the spend in this area is tremendous. Um, I believe the figures last year were around $3 trillion on software and services spent by companies worldwide. Wow. That's, that's, that's a huge market. You know, I was just reading yesterday. You, did you see Musk putting up his satellite? Yes. Uh, yeah. actually, uh, I don't think it happened. No, it got scrubbed. It got scrubbed. It got scrubbed again. Like, yeah, it was a time. yeah. Yeah. Because it's only two and a half hours for me. So we were going to try to go see it. Oh, and, that's fantastic. Yeah. And then we kept seeing it get scrubbed and we're like, Oh man. But when I was reading farther into the article, he was talking about how his rocket business caps out at three billion a year in transport. That's like as much money as they can make. But they they're entering the internet space because if they capture three percent of the global internet market, that's thirty billion a year. And so they said we literally cannot generate enough revenue to do the things we want to do, even if we're like max capacity for this industry. So what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to use this to launch us into something else. And so then they came up with the, the internet thing. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think uh, um, SpaceX has a bright future in front of it and internet is definitely an area where they could stand to make a lot of money. Um, I think we will see them rapidly expand into this space. What I wonder about is how we're going to deal with the proliferation of all these small satellites in space, um, crowding everything out. It's, it's really not that big an area if you think about it. Uh, and we have more and more objects out there. So I wonder how companies are going to deal with it, uh, but it, it remains a challenge. We're going to, you and I, we can open up a space trash company. We should do a podcast. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll call it space trash. Sounds great. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, initiatives, I think, by the U.S. government. There's a Swiss company I heard of uh, that I think has a robotics arm uh, that goes and grabs uh, space. There's a company that anchors into uh, space debris and then throws yeah. it down. Uh, so we'll see. I, I'm sure there will be innovative solutions in this area as well. Right. You know, uh, AOL, so like Steve Case is the co-founder of AOL. And they did this revolution tour where they went around to these, like not the major cities like New York or San Francisco, but they went around to like second tier cities like Tampa and Orlando. And they did like a, essentially like a pitch competition. And one of the companies that pitched, and I think they won, but one of the companies that pitched was they go into space and they literally will 
adjust um, like the orbits of different space debris. Oh, that's interesting. To help them fall back to Earth? Well, no. So like this is a little bit different than our original discussion. Oh, I see. <laughs> but it's, but so what they do is a huge, they have to put propellant in the satellites or mm-hmm. to, to push them to higher level orbit. So they drop them off at one level of orbit then they propel up. But the, that's like a really costly procedure. So what mm-hmm. this company was doing was putting a tow truck essentially into space. So Got all it. the companies could reduce payload costs by just putting them into one orbit. And then they take them. It's like last mile delivery, but for space. That makes sense. I think I, I know what you're talking about. I think they often call them graveyard orbits, especially for uh, geosynchronous satellites that are way out there. You can't have them fall back to Earth, so they just push them out. That makes sense. That's really cool. Yeah. I think I think space in general becomes a very interesting industry with uh, you have all kinds of, uh, until now it was just exploration. Uh, and that's why it was the domain of governments. Uh, but it's been expanding into construction and manufacturing and you have mining and transportation, even um, internet too. So all these new areas are opening up. I I heard of a company that wants to open a luxury hotel in space, uh, where they'll they will have uh, four people and two staff uh, in the hotel, and you get to stay there for a week or so. That's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. I, I mean, I don't know if I'd do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to like when the hotel experience is equal to that on earth, I will go. <laughs> <laughs> I would happily do it if I could afford it. It, it. it will be millions of dollars, but I would happily do it. It's one of my to go up into space. Well, like we could build a trampoline. No, <laughs> we'll get you there, man. All right. So we you know that's a, this is a future poll that will probably happen on Pulse QA, right? Like how, Absolutely. how much will space disrupt your industry? As soon as we finish the podcast, I'm putting it up. Right. I'll <laughs> tell you, I'll tell you one company I saw, they built these little satellites, they put them up into space. Cause it's only like $10,000 a pound. If you want to put something that's into space, that's 10 pounds, it's like a hundred grand, right? But put your satellite yeah. in space. And that's actually really interesting. Ew. There's there's something that's more obtainable than the hotel, right? But you put it into space, and then it was tracking the ships like in the sea, because they have these giant numbers on the side of them to identify the ships. And what they were doing was they were correlating the numbers on the ships to the ports that they were going to on the shipping logs, and then they could determine when a shipment would be late. Well, it turns out. And the stock market, this is very useful if you've got raw materials that'll be delayed by a quarter because it'll adjust your earnings. And so they were using this like arbitrage of like knowing when the shipping would be delayed by using the satellites from space prior to the companies themselves actually knowing their shipment was delayed. That's fascinating. It reminds me of the hedge funds that look at uh, the occupancy rate of parking lots. Uh, yep. But taken to the next level. Yeah. That's fascinating. Like Ray Dalio with his measuring the water to like know the crops, like back in the eighties, measuring the water tables and predict the yields. He's like, all right, the farmers knew it yielded this when it rained this. And so he would know what the production cycle is going to be way before it ever, you know, hit the market. So that's really interesting. That, and I've heard of um, companies looking into how, how deep uh, oil storage tanks have been filled up to, uh, to look into um, uh, what the demand for oil will be in the future. 
we live in the most interesting time ever, don't we? I know. And very yeah. hard to predict what's going to come up next. Super bugs, space. Yeah, yeah, the ingenuity of people can't be predicted. I hope there's not super bugs in space. <laughs> I think there are, right? We've been hearing oh, about no. We've been hearing about that too. Actually, they, they, can, they can grow in space, and there have been some found on the International Space Station. Really? So it's an active area of research, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> oh. oh, you know what? I bet they bring a lot of drugs up into space because, like, you can't see a doctor. <laughs> I bet they do. I bet right? you would need everything up there. This is one of the most fun and strange podcasts I've had. I really like you. <laughs> all right. So, wait. So, you got to tell me, what are you learning from Pulse, right? You've got all these people. You're having these conversations, these polls. Like, what are some macro takeaways? So, one thing we've learned is... Um, when we started this out, we didn't know um, what CIOs and CTOs would actually discuss on there. Um, we just decided to let the audience take it somewhere. And uh, initially, we found that people didn't actually just come up and start engaging. Because why would you? There are so many sites out there. Why would you just come to Pulse, an unknown site, and engage? Um, so initially, we went out there, uh, talked to a lot of CIOs and CTOs. Um, We've had some very uh, interesting um, personalities uh, who've helped us out in the past. The CIO of Palantir, the ex-CIO of Facebook, ex-CIO of Netflix, uh, head of IT at Uber. So we've had some great people give us advice. And we, I'm struck by how uh, helpful and generous with their time they are. And they, they agreed to help us seed some content early on. And that's how we kickstarted. We found out that Quora kickstarted the same way. Uh, so that's how we got started. And then once we had some seeded content, uh, we were able to slowly get the community going. And what we noticed were, uh, that was that discussions fell into three, roughly three categories. Uh, I can put them into, one is the buckets of products and services. What product should I use in this category? Uh, what's the best product for me to use given my business use case for CRM and so on. Um, something about machine learning, for example. The second we see uh, is around strategy. Uh, many of these CIOs come from a technical background, but they don't have a lot of um, knowledge about how to work with the company strategy to achieve company goals. Uh, so they ask a lot of questions around this area. And the third thing we've observed is there's a lot of leadership questions because they suddenly see an increased team size and they want to know how to effectively communicate with their team, how to manage their team and how to make sure their team morale is high and feels rewarded. So th these are just some of the things we've observed at the same time. Um, what we notice is that is that CIOs engage on our site for different reasons. There are the very well-established CIOs, they don't need anything. The CIO of Palantir has already made it. You know, they don't need anything from anyone else, but they go out there and they engage on the platform just to help out others. Um, the, Mike Kale, for example, uh, who was a CIO at Netflix, he goes out there and he just writes content to engage with others and help each other out. Uh, and that's his only motivation. He has no reason otherwise to go out there. He just wants to give back to the community and his peers. Uh, there are other CIOs who like to write on there because they want to be on the same platform as their heroes, the CIOs they aspire to be. 
Um, so we see all kinds of different CIOs engaging for different reasons. And then we see direct, we, we generally have, our audience is decision makers. So we go down as low as directors, but not below. And mm -hmm. directors actually engage with uh, products much more than CIOs who can be sometimes somewhat divorced from the technical details. So we see more substantive discussions coming in from uh, director and VP level folks. That's super interesting, right? Because you've had, you have this big network, you've got all these polls, you've got all this data, and then it groups into these three areas, products, services, strategy, leadership, and you get the people who want to give back, who've already made it, and then you get the people who want to, who are in the process of making a name for themselves to want to be near the people who have made it because that's what we what we want to do, right? You want to be close to the most successful people, figure out what they're doing, how they handled and made certain decisions so that you can emulate that behavior and get similar results. Absolutely. And, and the other thing um, I would say that we've learned is that, like I said earlier, the CIOs just don't want to read these large reports. And the biggest company serving them until now has been a company called Gartner. I don't know if you've heard yeah. of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are, they're a very old company. I, uh, I think they were founded in the 70s. Uh, they make uh, $3 billion in revenue every year. Um, so they're not small, but they, pr they publish a quadrant. Uh, they call it the magic quadrant. Uh, and the way it works is that they cater to buyers and senders or uh, sellers or vendors. Um, they cater to both sides. And this introduces a conflict of interest uh, because on one hand, CIOs use this to reference the magic, they reference the magic quadrant to find out what products they should be purchasing for their business. But the vendors can pay uh, Gartner some money and get better placement on the magic quadrant. And mm -hmm. this is a little bit like if you could pay Google to bump you up in the search results. Oh, you uh, and not, and, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the organic search results, I know what you mean, I'm the sorry. The organic search results. Um, but you know what I mean? And, and we've, we've had a lot of uh, leaders express frustration with this. They're aware that this is a problem, but they don't know what to do about it. On top of it, if you, you have to start out by paying $50,000 minimum annually to get a starting account with Gartner, and it only goes up from there. If you want a custom research report, they're gonna give you a 30-page report Again, published by an analyst, as you said earlier, you're not hearing from the source uh, and you're not hearing what the future will be. You wanna skate to where the puck will be. Instead, you hear something outdated from an analyst and they are not actually real operators. So you're not getting the best in class info. Um, and they're using instead, secondhand information. Like they didn't go through this. Like absolutely. they either poll people who did or they talk to the salespeople of the companies who are pushing whatever, check the boxes on their matrix but they have no idea what it was actually like to go in through an implementation process. I mean, they, they say they talk to the past customers and all of that, but <clears throat> you know, they're only giving you the best customers, right? Absolutely. Uh, and and um, they, what they end up doing is they call up other CIOs, get some info from them, put it into a document or a long report and then share it. So why are CIOs actually paying for this if they're the ones actually coming up with the info? Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense that you'd pay so much money, shell out so much money for a membership there. So one thing we've learned with Pulse is while CIOs and CTOs lack time, they are willing to engage if 
uh, information is delivered to them without the fluff. Uh, just get right to the content, get right to the insights and conclusion, and just see the direct data. Um, and be able to filter the data. So we allow uh, our users to go and filter the data they see by geography because Europe behaves differently. Uh, tech leaders in Asia are different from tech leaders in North America. Uh, you see variations based on company sizes too. Uh, a startup may be more likely to use GitHub, but larger companies, for example, are more likely to use Perforce for source control. Um, so you'll see variations because of company size. That's another uh, area where we allow filtering. And uh, you see that oil and gas companies, for example, uh, prefer different products from tech companies or from manufacturing companies. So we allow filtering in that domain as well. And by filtering, uh, decision makers can hone down to the exact detail they need and compare apples to apples. That's so that's massively useful. One of the biggest frustrations I had when when I was looking for leadership management, management to leader type stuff was you go into a forum or you go into one of these paid sites and there's no, there's only a username. There's no context of how many engineers this person has, what revenue they have, what industry they have. And the leadership advice that a CTO running a 10,000 person company is going to be different than one that's running a 12 person company, right? They're going to be focused on different things. And there was Absolutely. no context. Yes, yeah, so that's yeah. what you guys have done. You've provided self-selecting context. Like I could, right? Like I could, I'm not limited to my own like area, my own bracket. I could like, I could filter however I want to, right? You can filter however you want to and you can, <clears throat> you can see the data in a way that it's relevant to you so that it actually makes sense. Perfect. Like that's what you want. And then can you have like conversations around the poll or no? Is it just like you just get to put in your information? No, great question, actually. Uh, when we started out, um, we only had uh, pure data. We just started out with charts. And then we realized that raw data is great, but it still takes uh, some thinking to tease out small details in there. So we added these insights. So these quick bite-sized insights that we automatically calculate based on the data that we see. And we just put those up there. The insights are also relevant to the person looking at them. So if you're in manufacturing, you will see insights that are relevant to you based on manufacturing as an industry. If something stands out about others who were in manufacturing who've responded to this, we highlight that for you. Uh, so those insights really help. And then we realize that we should have discussions around it too. Uh, and now in hindsight, it feels silly that we didn't think of it immediately, but we allow discussions around these bite-sized polls as well. Um, one thing, another thing we learned is people don't just want to answer polls or ask questions, but they want to share content like you do with your friends. Uh, you see some interesting article, you go and share it with your peers or friends. Um, well, these folks want to do it as well. They want to facilitate conversations around interesting things they come across every day. So um, we uh, have these discussions. Uh, we used to just have plain old Q&A but we expanded that to be able to share videos and share URLs and all kinds of rich media and then facilitate conversations around that. And we've seen the, these changes have seen a huge uptick in our engagement. That's pretty cool. I, I was actually, so my uncle, I got to meet him when I was out in San Francisco and I got to see your offices and 
you guys had your feet up on the screen. And like, I knew some of the people that were responding. I was like, what? They're over here too. This is awesome. So I took, I actually took a picture of the screen and like texted it to him. I was like, Hey, check it out. I see you on Paul's Q and A. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have some uh, good personalities on there. Anyone you had on the podcast? Yeah. I just, I, their name escapes me right now, but okay. I'll, I'll ask after and message you because like Allison noticed. She's the one that actually pointed out. She goes, oh, look, I think his name was Michael. But she goes, oh, look, it's Michael or whoever it was. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. Um, and then we, yeah, we, we instantly texted him a picture of it. But one of the things I was curious about that when we were talking about like the whole Gartner and business model thing, how do you make money? Uh, good question. Uh, when we started out, we wanted to be clear about one thing. We wanted to avoid what Gartner does and other such companies, uh, meaning we don't want to represent both the buyer and the seller uh, because it creates a conflict of interest. So we decided to not let vendors influence the platform. And um, this is a segue into uh, talking about monetization, but I want to make this very clear that when we get a user in, we're very careful to make sure that they are in the IT field or in the or connected to the technology field in some way, either in data science or in engineering, and they have to be a decision maker. Uh, we don't let in individual contributors uh, because we wanna have people in there who, who make decisions for their company and we wanna facilitate them to make better decisions. But we definitely, most importantly, keep the vendors out. Uh, we don't let in anyone from the product side or the marketing or sales side into the community. We may set up other communities for those folks, but we don't let them into this core IT community that we have. But we learned very quickly that they wanted to engage with our community and learn from these folks. Uh, just like, um, you know SurveyMonkey? Yeah. Uh, early on in Pulse, we went to SurveyMonkey and... Uh, we took a look at how you could create a poll on there. And SurveyMonkey actually lets you pick professions and gender and age groups and so on. They have a lot of these different filters, uh, income levels, but the core audience in SurveyMonkey um, tends to be um, more skewed towards uh, middle-aged folks. Uh, it's skewed towards females, uh, but they don't have a lot of uh, professionals on there. So if you're looking for doctors, let's say, if you're looking for female doctors, you're not going to find them on there. Um, they don't, they just don't engage with the platform. So we noticed this was a gap. If you want to actually reach out to professionals or decision makers in any company or executives, how do you do that? There's pretty much nothing available for that. So we noticed this gap. And now we have a community of buyers who a lot of vendors want to reach. So one way we've uh, made money is by asking questions to our community from vendors, but we make sure to mark them as sponsored questions. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, so that the community is aware of the source of the questions. Uh, if you see a question from the community, then the author of the question will be marked as well, but all sponsored questions are appropriately marked. And this is one way we make money. Um, funnily, we weren't actually looking to, start monetization early on, uh, but we got a lot of inbound interest. And we had, uh, we had a couple of companies reach out uh, and say that they wanted to ask questions on the platform. And so 
we were we weren't even prepared for this so we just quoted a price and they happily accepted uh and since then we keep we increase the price but uh we realize what we for what we offer we're still severely undervaluing uh our service uh so this is one way we make money we're also exploring other avenues that's pretty neat though right because it it still satisfies the market balance like the dynamics of the vendors needing to get in front of them but at the same time it's bringing actual value because you you get to improve the questions and like you get to right you facilitate that they can't just ask anything they want they can't just ask anything they want and we've also been careful to make sure to only seed questions that are interesting to our audience so these right. questions can get boring very quick as I think you were hinting at in the sense of uh, who, who are the folks who want to ask questions? Well, we have three types of folks who want to ask questions on the platform. Uh, one is the product side folks. And folks on the product side just want to uh, refine their product roadmap and strategy. What feature should we build out? Uh, what's interesting to our audience? Um, and as they learn what features are most interesting to our audience, they will prioritize those features in their product roadmap. Uh, but then we have the marketing folks who wanna refine their marketing message. What message resonates with you? But we're careful to not ask some really boring questions like out of these four marketing messages, which one is most interesting to you? That's not of interest to our audience and the engagement will go down pretty quickly if we have those sorts of questions. Uh, so we make sure to not uh, put those kinds of questions on the platform. And third, the third group of folks asking questions are folks on the finance side. And they want to ask questions to understand uh, what the buyers are thinking so that maybe they can make better decisions um, on uh, what companies to invest in, perhaps. Ooh. See, I was going to just buy an ad and ask the question, like, why would you not want to buy LeaderBest? <laughs> like, just, just ask. So that question, why would you not want to buy this product? And uh, yeah, but no, your questions seem to engage, you know, the community and offer value. So that's, that's pretty cool. I'm actually like, I hate to like plug it a bunch, but I'm a fan of what you guys are doing. Like the Thank moment you. I saw you, I, I got reached out to you on intercom on the chat and, and I, and I looked up the site and I was like, this is exactly it. Cause I felt I felt sad for, for for me because like I had wanted to build a community, like a place to interact for the podcast and all of that. But there's so much traction with the podcast and doing everything and the speaking and all of that. I haven't I never got to build like a community where we could connect like on the website. I didn't want to do something like one of the standard boxed software open source things and then maintain it. I just didn't feel like if I didn't put a hundred percent into it, it wouldn't be interesting and hook people. It would just be something that ended up gathering cobwebs but what you have done is just you took it to a whole nother level you really put a hundred percent of the time into the fact that it's a community so anyone that wants to go be a part of this community how, how, how do they do that uh, you can just come to our site it's uh, www.pulse.qa and pulse as in checking your pulse uh, mm -hmm. p-u-l-s-e dot qa um, so go out there, uh, especially if you're an IT decision maker. Um, we believe you will find a lot of value on our site. Uh, so just go out there and we have two ways to log in. You can use your email or you can use LinkedIn to connect. 
Yeah. And you guys approve it too. Cause when I joined, it was like, Oh, we're going to approve your account. So you like not anybody can join. Yeah. And you've been a former CTO or you are, you have been in the technology industry, right? You're an engineer by training. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, engineer by training, uh, then built my first company and became, went from engineer to CTO essentially, and then scaled that, that grew it, sold it. Um, and then did that several more times, but as like an app agency. So I built an app agency and then we worked with venture capital firms to help rewrite systems that were getting funded but needed to be rewritten. And then I started writing the blog, which turned into a book and then that turned into the podcast. And then now we have about, um, about 11, 12 people here at the podcast because that turned into a leadership company. So that's great. What happened is, yeah, like CTO of NASA cam, comes on, shares the device, Microsoft, all these great people share their advice. And then we had some, some CTOs and they said, and they had like 25 leaders. And they said, well, how do we get our leaders to do these things we hear you talking about on the commute? So we ended up like taking clips of the podcast and turning them into leadership challenges. And we built a data analytics platform. So like CTO will buy it, um, deploy it out to their direct reports. And then all their direct reports are taking these challenges every week, you know, implementing concepts like giving credit to their team or individual ownership or autonomous leadership. Just like this steady flow. And so it comes directly from the practitioners. Like somebody tries something new with their teams and it works really well. And then they scale it across organizations and they come on the show and they share it. And then we put it into a format where people can replicate it um, and try it to see if it works for, with their team. So it's just this like um, best practices, weekly habit, leadership thing. That's great. I like how aligned we are. Right? That's why I yeah. liked it so much. That is, that is why I legitimately saw it. And, and then we looked at the industry, like my Gartner, right? Like who's my Gartner? <laughs> my Gartner is like the leadership industry. It's an $18 billion industry. And they take this like concept of come to a workshop or a class and we'll teach you for eight hours or 16 hours. We'll do some trust falls. You'll learn the 80 things that leaders should do from this workbook. And then we'll quiz you on it. Then we'll give you a certificate that you're a great leader. And it's like, that is never how any leader became great. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, have you ever had to take one of those workshops? No, I haven't actually. Oh, you're, you're yeah. lucky. The trust <laughs> falls are not fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Uh, I've luckily avoided that. So what caused you to want to want to build the product? Like initially, like when did you first identify the gap and you're like, you know what, I'm actually going to go for this. Um, I, I was working at uh, Warner brothers at the time. Uh, mm -hmm. and um, I, I joined Warner Brothers um, and that was my uh, start in management. I joined Warner Brothers to uh, build up their mobile engineering team. Uh, Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment owns a lot of amazing IP. Um, Game of Thrones, I didn't even know of this, but they own HBO, yeah. so they have Game of Thrones. They produced all the Harry Potter movies, so they have Harry Potter. Um, they own DC Comics. So it's just the most fantastic IP you can imagine. And they had no presence on mobile. Um, I've, I have a background in mobile development and engineering. So I joined to build up their mobile teams. Uh, and I was working with three studios. Um, uh, NetherRealm, they make Mortal Kombat, uh, based in Chicago, WB Boston, and uh, WBSF in San Francisco. Uh, and a couple of years in... Uh, I had worked with Mayank in the past at Cool Iris. Uh, and I don't know if you've heard of Cool Iris, but it was a pretty hot startup back in the day. They were acquired by Yahoo. And I used to work there with Mayank. Uh, Mayank was the founder of Cool Iris. Uh, and my, I'd stayed in Mayank, uh, I stayed in touch with Mayank since. 
uh, he and I had a product engineer relationship and it had worked really well. Uh, and I would say this is really important for anyone who's considering uh, starting a company with someone is uh, I, I've been approached by folks in cafes, um, especially early in my career. Uh, anyone who sees some young person coding in a cafe in the Bay Area, they're going to approach you and tell you about this brilliant idea they have. And in return for stock, why don't oh, you You're join so lucky. Them? Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so this happens a lot. And it can be tempting. I don't know why, but some people actually join companies this way. But you know nothing about the person and you don't know if you can work together. Um, when you actually found a company with a co-founder, it's like you're married. You're a couple. You're going to spend a lot of time with them, probably more than you spend with your spouse and Netflix and everything else and your friends combined. So when Mike reached out to me, these things uh, checked. You know, I'd had a great working relationship with him and he was a friend and he reached out to me and he said, look, I've been working at Capriza. He told me all the things he had learned about CIOs and their pain points uh, from working with them. Uh, that they ju they're just unable to keep up with the proliferation of products out there. And they would love a platform where, which is an online community and it's always on. So they don't have to wait for the next conference uh, to learn from mm -hmm. their peers. Uh, they don't have, they don't want to just call up peers because how many contacts are you going to have you, you can, who you can call up and learn from? Maybe a half a dozen at most. Uh, it just doesn't scale. So they would love a community where they can ask questions and get answers from a wide audience. Uh, and that's how Pulse was born. He asked me if I wanted to join. And we just went out there and started drawing up ideas. Uh, we looked for funding initially, uh, but it's not easy without a prototype. So then we built out a prototype. We started out with chatbots. Um, and it sounds really odd, but the reason for starting out with a chatbot, specifically a messenger bot, is one that a lot of CIOs, believe it or not, uh, use messenger, and they're found on Facebook. Um, we, it's not easy to get a foothold uh, because it's a very specific audience. How do you reach out to such a targeted audience? It's not easy. Uh, if you place ads through LinkedIn, it costs a lot of money. So yeah. we started out by, yeah, we started out by going to Facebook and people self-declare themselves as CIOs. And uh, they generally don't lie about it because they have friends and family and peers on their Facebook <laughs> friends list as well. So we started to reach out, we, show ad, we showed ads to people on Facebook who were CIOs and, that, and then we started to get them in through the messenger bot and we started running our experiments. Uh, this worked out well. We got some initial funding. Uh, then we applied to Y Combinator uh, with the mission to help technology leaders and decision makers make better decisions. And we got accepted. So we were part of uh, winter 2018. Uh, then we got some seed funding through True Ventures. And here we are a year later. Nice. I love it. Yeah. And you're excited. You're growing. Things are good. We're excited. We've seen uh, engagement improve. Um, we saw inbound uh, requests come in from vendors to reach out to our community. And since then, we started to focus a little bit more on sales too, yeah. especially with uh, encouragement from our investors. 
and we've seen uh, those grow as well. And they're reaching a point where we need to spend some engineering time um, servicing the sales side as well and the operations side, not just the product, which is a problem. But uh, as Mayank always says, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, you want bigger problems. I was reading like uh, Grant Cardone. He's like a sales guy, you know, the 10X guy. And he's always like, you want huge, like, you want massive problems. And I, for some reason, all of this content that I read, that stuck with me. It's like, how could I get a bigger problem? And I'll tell you what, for, I don't know if it's like the best strategy in the world, <laughs> but so far it's working. Like the problems keep getting bigger and the re returns and the rewards keep getting larger as well, so. That's great. And that's what's rewarding about this, right? Why do we found companies and why do we run companies? Because the challenges are great. And while that sometimes keeps you up at night, that's what makes life exciting. Uh, it, it would be very boring otherwise. So yeah, while we are growing a lot, um, it's challenging. Hiring is not easy. That's what makes it really exciting. That's why I prefer startups to really large companies. Oh, let's give you a shout out. If you're looking for, for different types of positions, let me know what you're looking for. We'll, we'll put it out there. Uh, yeah, we're, we're always looking for engineering talent, uh, especially good uh, full stack engineers. Uh, it's, it's tough to find in the Bay Area because there is just so much competition and you're always competing with the likes of Google and Facebook. Um, you have to match all the perks they provide, which is not easy. Uh, and not really even possible for a startup, but wait till we get Series A. Right? Then you then you'll be in there, right? <laughs> I love it, man. You're right. I, I read some posts the other day that um, company got it was a CEO and it was probably about 20 people, and he said somebody just got recruited from Google and their starting bonus was more than I paid them in a year. Like, how do I compete with that? Yeah. It's like whoa. It's like that's. <laughs> That's interesting. I'm curious to see how this unfolds over the next 10 years. The schools are really growing though. Like the schools to churn out talent are, are growing and you see things like Pluralsight growing and all these other, all these other organizations. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how the talent plays out for now. Yeah. Just we're competing on our culture. Like I'm sure you are the culture that you have at, at Pulse, right? Absolutely. And I wanted to say two things there. Uh, one is that's why you say that you should hire people who are excited about the problem you're solving. Um, you know, younger people who are risk takers and excited about the problem you're solving. Um, and on the other side, I think we've gone away from vocational training over the years um, and with a lot of emphasis and focus on a, on a four-year degree and then a master's degree and nothing wrong with those. Those are great. But there's just so much talent out there and so many people out there who have no background in computer science and just would like to be trained in something, um, some technology of the future, and then bring their skills into a company and contribute in some way. And I'm really glad we've seen the proliferation of all these training institutes recently, uh, training people in machine learning and AI and uh, natural language processing. I'm very excited to see how this turns out. Me too. My local like college that's local to us called like SCF State College of Florida. They actually came and like we connected and they came to my office and they're like, what are you looking for? Like talent wise. And then they asked me to be on one of their boards to help decide they're opening up this new facility and they're going to have AI, ML, like all these different types of education 
um, in this new like $14 million facility or whatever. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, I'm so happy this is happening in, in this town that I'm living in because that is exactly, that is exactly what we need. Yeah. The, the more people we train, the better, because I think everyone sooner or later will have to deal with technology. We, we will see like Andreessen Horowitz says, right? Technology is eating up the world. Software will eat up the world. Uh, you see that happening. Every single company, finance company, uh, every even oil and gas companies, there's a huge amount of tremendous amount of innovation going on. And they're all going to be technology first if they aren't already. Uh, I'm sure Goldman Sachs uh, hires so many engineers, that it, it might be the largest amount of talent they have in-house. Uh, probably more than folks that are on the finance side specifically. Um, and you will see that across every company sooner or later. And I love it because this is the industry that like I fell in love with as a small child and it wasn't sexy at the time. And now like I was the weird one that would, they would be like, go outside. And I'm like, I want to play on the computer, <laughs> right? <laughs> I want to write some code. And now it's like the opposite. Like everybody's doing it now. Yeah, you have to. There is no choice. You absolutely have to. Oh, I love it. So what is what is the thing that, like, as we start to wrap up, I want to know, like, what are you most excited about other than the fact that you're getting better and you'll be back at work? <laughs> <laughs> uh, from a company point of view? Yeah, or from a from... company point of view. Like, what's what's really, what are you really pumped up about that you can share publicly? Sure. Um, what we've learned is that our audience likes to engage in different ways. Um, we've noticed that uh, some, some of our audience likes to engage at different times. Um, what we're doing is building out the system and refining the system that engages them where they want to be and when they want to be engaged. Uh, by where, I mean uh, the different modes of communication that they use. If they want to be on a chatbot, we want to engage them there. If they prefer the browser, then we have a Chrome plugin for them. If they would prefer to engage by email, then we want to engage them there. But we want to fit ourselves into their workflow. Uh, and this is the best way to improve engagement uh, with our users. Aside from that, we want to understand what topics they're interested in uh, and continually refine our feed so that they see things that are most relevant to them. And so they don't have to waste too much time. Um, Quora has done an amazing job of this. I don't know if you use Quora, but, or if you haven't subscribed to their newsletter, please don't because you will have to read it. If you start receiving it, you will have to it's read addictive. it. It's addictive. It's yeah. so addictive. They will share some four articles with you and you have to click on them. You have no oh. choice because they are just perfectly exactly what you're looking for. Uh, so we want to get there. That's what we aspire to be. And it'll take time. Those kinds of things happen in slow increments. A lot of people talk about AI as changing the world and people think of these new products coming out that'll change the world. But I think the power of AI is in these small little increments uh, where you continually refine the product. You don't see how Google search used to be one year ago versus today. It's improved a lot, but you don't see those improvements. Uh, just like you don't see how you age over time, but you look back at a photo of yourself from two years ago and you're like, wow, I look much younger there. Uh, it's the same thing. 
Um, so these incremental improvements will get us there. So I'm really excited about focusing on those aspects of our product. Um, understanding when our users want to engage. If a user is in India and prefers to engage in the evenings, if one of our users is in Europe and prefers to engage on Sunday mornings, we want to understand that, build up a profile, and um, make life as easy as possible for our community. Oh, I love it. And I love that you've picked up on like the compounding nature of time, right? Like you can only do things. So I, I'm 31 now. And so I'd say right around 29, 30, I realized that I can't do something with intensity. The only thing I can do is put like a small habit into place and then like watch it, right? Like I can't just go do something that I want to do. I have to just say, all right, if I actually want to pursue this, right? If I want to become, you know, a better leader or I want to grow a company, right? I can't just go do it in with a big volume of intensity. I have to just develop a schedule and a routine that allows me to just put one little piece on it over and over. And then you look back at the books, right? And then this is like what people have been saying ever. All the successful people have always been saying this. The bodybuilders say it, the people that have money and they practice, you know, good finance tips say it. Like this has been something that's said forever, but it's just now becoming real to me. And it's very useful. I'm glad I found it out at, at like 29 versus like 50. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think a lot of people look back and regret that they, that they didn't put certain habits into place. And we all have some regrets, but I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you put some right incentives. Uh, Self-incentivization is very important. You put some right incentives and habits into place and you will see the compounding effects of those play out over time. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Anad, this has been a fantastic conversation, my friend. Thank you. Likewise, I've really enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you for having me on. The next time I'm in San Francisco, I'm gonna let you know because uh, I got to meet your co-founder, but I, I didn't get to meet you, did I? You weren't there, right? I wasn't there, and I, I don't remember where I was at the time. But yeah, it's unfortunate I didn't get to meet you because he spoke very highly of you, and we should definitely grab a beer next time you're in town. Dude, we'll feel better, and uh, when I'm out in San Francisco, I'll let you know, and we'll talk soon. Well, thank you so much, Joel. Thank you so much. Talk soon. Hopefully see you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer. We're trying to get listed on the top 100 for iTunes and I need your help in order to do this.